for those of you not in America, July 4th might not have any significance to you. For us, though, it marks our country's independence and one of the most celebrated days of the year. Families and friends gather together. Huge fireworks shows are put on by both cities and neighborhood parties. And just generally, everyone is out to have a good time on our nation's birthday. Though most people enjoy all the festivities, some don't enjoy the extra hoopla. Some despise it. Most places in America, citizens can buy and shoot off as many fireworks as they like. And yes, they are loud. Because of that, neighbors can easily get agitated. What I'll be talking about today is something very much like that. A person who doesn't like the good time that's being had in his neighborhood. And the whole thing goes from a nice family gathering to a deadly encounter. Join me as I walk you through the events that happened just outside of Detroit in the small town of St. Clair Shores, Michigan on July 4th, 2019. I have multiple calls to talk about, and believe me, in one or more ways, you'll definitely have a lot of emotions on this one. Welcome back to Music City 911. I'll start this one off by saying the calls I have are going to have a wide range of callers. Some of the calls aren't that great, and I'll speak on those as we start to listen to them. In short, the quality on some of them just aren't that great. But let's go ahead and get started with these calls. The first one coming in just after 10 p.m. on July 4th. Nine one one. What is the location of emergency? I'm shooting a red by my neighbor. I, he, he's already threatening to shoot me with a forty four gun. What what uh, what city are you in? I'm in Saint Clair Shores. And who is your neighbor? I don't know. I have several complaints with harassing him. He walked into my house on one occasion. Now I'm just out here trying to light fireworks with my kids. He's shooting a beam laser across the street. He's ready us with a gun. Did you see the gun? No, I didn't. Okay. Did he just said he had one? Yeah, he said, I'll be, I, I got a 44 and you're going to fill it. Okay. Just bear with me one second, okay? Yes. What is your name? Right now, sir. Stay on the phone with me. At my house. Can you go back into your house? Can you go back to your house? Ma'am, I understand, ma'am. Can you go back into your house? He's going after my brother. No, he's following my brother. You're at St. Margaret Street? Okay. I need you to go back inside. 
Your mother's been shot in the leg? Yeah, it's can't. Well, who's the other person that's been shot? Who's the other person that's been shot? She's an 11 year old girl. Okay, where is she shot at? No, I can't right now. And her in her arm. Yeah, I, I got reports of people that are out there. Okay, they coming. Their maids are coming. They just Do you see the police there? Yes, they here, but I need some paramedics, right. please. They're, ma'am, they are, dri- they are driving to you, okay? I need you to go talk to the police officer, okay? The police are not trying to talk to me right now. Okay, I have to let you go. I've got other 911s. I've got the paramedics already on the way to you, okay? All right. That call starts off by saying the caller's neighbor threatened her with a forty-four. He was also pointing a laser from the gun at the kids that were out playing. The dispatcher was trying to get the info and provide some caller safety by saying, go back inside your house. But the tide turned very quickly when the neighbor started following the caller's brother and then started shooting. That's when she started screaming, and then at least one of the bullets hit the caller's door. The caller safety portion of that, the dispatcher continues to try and convey to the caller to go back inside the house. I agree that it's something that should be done in a situation like this. There are no police on the scene yet. No one to help them immediately. So the only thing a dispatcher can really do is tell the caller and anyone she can notify to get inside and try to stay safe. If the bullets are continuing to fly, I'd have everyone get down on the ground trying to make the lowest profile possible. I'd say that ideally you get behind some cover, something that would stop a bullet coming through, but most homes don't really have anything that would stop a bullet, especially a bullet like this. For those of you that don't know, a 44 is a big, heavy pistol round. It would easily go through any doors or walls, and even something thick like a refrigerator. Hiding behind something like those may not stop you from getting shot. But getting down on the ground in a low-profile position will at least get you the lowest possible probability of getting hit with less of you exposed. The caller continues with making threats about the man, saying he's a dead man. As a dispatcher, you have to be vigilant in trying to maintain as much peace and law as possible. I'm not trying to take away from what was happening there at all. Me in the same situation, I'd probably want to be or actually be shooting back, trying to stop the threat. From what we know, it sounds like it would be self-defense. But a dispatcher on the phone doesn't know any of that for sure. So as much as we feel like it and can sympathize with what's going on, We can't say that it's okay to do something like that and potentially put the caller or anyone else in further danger. Towards the end of the call, we found out that someone has been shot and then another. The caller's mother was shot in the leg and an 11-year-old girl shot in the arm. Paramedics were then dispatched to the scene and once police got on the scene, the caller was instructed to try to talk with them. And something like this, when there's still an active threat, chances are, police are not going to want to go straight over and talk with a caller. 
they're going to want to assess the situation. And if there is still an ongoing threat, they're going to want to deal with that first. As this call goes on, the screaming gets worse. And as I've said on the show before, the microphones inside of a cell phone generally aren't made for anything past normal conversation levels. You start screaming and the quality of the call goes downhill really quick. That happened here, but it was nothing like this next call. too much of what the caller was saying beyond a man is shooting her house. This is a perfect example of when you start screaming, the quality of what is being said over a cell phone deteriorates to nothing sometimes. That's exactly what happened here. The caller was hysterical, and for good reason. Her house was getting shot at. If you hadn't been in a situation like that before, chances are you'd be scared out of your mind. The dispatcher did try to calm her down, but those tactics weren't working. He was saying, take a deep breath, told her to calm down. Sometimes this does work, but I found that if you go a little bit further, it'll a lot of times get you through and help. I'll say something like, try to stop screaming because the louder you are on the phone, the harder it is to hear you. If you can get the caller to hear that and understand it, I found that most times it does work really well. The dispatch center there, I would imagine, is pretty small. On their police website, it states that the city has 84 sworn police officers and six civilian employees. I'm thinking that, at most, those six civilian employees are dispatchers. There could be fewer than that, too, though. I also found that they work 12-hour shifts there. So if you think about it, likely at most, they'll have three dispatchers on duty at a time. But if you count for being busier during the day... You might only have two working the night shift and the other four working during the day. And even that doesn't factor in the employee's days off. When you have a shooting anywhere, you usually have multiple callers on it. For a small dispatch center, this will inundate them with calls, making it difficult to answer quickly. What sounds like the same caller rings back in, but it also could be the first caller. I don't have the phone numbers to match up like a wooden dispatch, but the audio from the phone, at minimum, Sounds similar. Hello? 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 Hello?
a lot of the same on that call screaming and general chaos in the background and very difficult to hear what's being said while it does sound like the caller was actually on the phone towards the start of the call the phone is definitely not close to her ear at the end of the call and suddenly disconnects one more caller who was actually pretty calm gets through to dispatch and gives a little better info address of your emergency. I don't know the address. We don't say um, Margaret. Um, a guy shooting at us. What, he's shooting at you? Yes. Hurry up. Okay, we already have officers on the way. What does he look like? He's a white male, older male. He just went back in his house. What house did he go into? I can't see the address, ma'am. I can't walk over there because he's shooting at us. It's, um, we got a, we got a, you look saver in front of the house. We got a, I got my car, which is a Buick, um, shit, what the fuck kind of car is that? My car is right next door in front of his house. Is it your car is in front of his house? Next door. It's a Buick, a brown Buick. Okay, what's your name, sir? Okay, sir, go talk to the police, okay? All right. Okay, thank you. Even though that was a short phone call, we know that the shooter has gone back inside his house, that he's an older man, and we figured out roughly what house he went into by the location of the caller's car. The location bit is a big piece of info. Police will know where to begin looking for the suspect. So far in this, we're just minutes into the incident. A suspect has been shooting at various places, two people have been hit by bullets, and police on the way, as well as on the scene, have no idea yet what they're getting into, both with the suspect himself and what it will take to end the situation. Police and paramedics have made it to the scene. A safety zone was set up so medics could get in and remove the two people that got shot and take them to a hospital. This wasn't an easy task, though. Officers had to assist with the medics in getting them out of the house. Because the front of the house was still on the firing line, a plan was made and executed to take those shooting victims out of the back of the house where they were lifted over a fence to where medics were waiting. Just minutes before the patients were taken out of the house, officers had surrounded the house where the suspect was, and while trying to maintain a perimeter, more shots rang out from inside the house. Police weren't sure if they were being shot at, 
or if he was randomly shooting outside, or if he was maybe shooting at someone inside of the house. A little over a half hour after all this started, another call to dispatch comes in, with dispatch still being extremely backed up from everything that's going on. sure that you're like me as well as this caller being extremely frustrated at the answer time on this it even sounded like this may have got bounced over to a neighboring agency i can't hold the actual dispatchers accountable for this though i can tell they were doing everything they could on this but i have mentioned before that i believe every dispatch center should always be overstaffed with employees just for when some huge incident like this happens no one can predict something like this As a dispatcher, I'd rather be sitting there doing nothing for minutes or hours on end instead of going call to call when we have a normal workload and then getting crazily backed up when something big comes in. It's a huge issue that most municipalities simply aren't able to correct due to budget constraints. Back to this call, after what seemed like an eternity of the phone ringing, dispatch picked up and got a bit of background on the shooter. Everything the caller was saying sounded like the shooter was beyond what we would call well-armed. A huge list of guns and potentially an incredibly large amount of ammo is in this guy's possession. This could be a recipe for disaster. Days after all this happened, police released a timeline of events that started there on July 4th, just after 10 p.m. I'll pick a couple highlights for you, just so you can imagine what went down there. After arriving on the scene, police obtained the name of the suspect, Tom Eilenfeld. At around 10.55 p.m., 
a phone number to a family member of the shooter, was located and called. When they answered, police were informed that the family member was just called by the suspect to say goodbye. They were given his phone number as well as someone believed to be in the house with him, Carol Bauer. At 11.02, a call was made to Carol's phone and there was no answer. After that, numerous calls were placed to the suspect's phone and those would either go to voicemail or he would answer and hang up without saying anything. Two different calls he answered. One of them, he said he wasn't coming out of the house and the other saying, you have to come in and get me. The second one, The officer on the phone asked if Carol was in the house, and the suspect confirmed that she was. She was asked to be put on the phone, but the suspect refused to, saying that she was fine and sleeping. During that same phone call, it became apparent pretty quickly that at minimum, some of this was racially motivated. The suspect asked the officer if he had ever killed any, and then he used the N-word. After again refusing to come out of the house, he hung up again. A little after midnight, at 12.27, another call was placed. After answering again, he was asked to come outside, and he said, Come in and get me, motherfucker. He was then told that the police had talked to his daughter and that she was worried about him. His response was, I'm sure she is, and then hung up. Five minutes after that call was placed, more shots were heard inside the house, with more following about a minute later. Past that, numerous calls were made to the suspect, but they got voicemail every time. That previous call was the last one that he actually talked to the police on. At 12.47, a police armored vehicle that had arrived at the scene was positioned in front of the house. The suspect then started shooting at that vehicle. Four minutes later, they used the armored vehicle to smash through the front door of the house. Still not able to get him to come outside, a decision was made to use tear gas to try to coax him out. This was done from 1.32 in the morning all the way till 4.03 in the morning, deploying the gas in different areas of the house. While all this was happening, Michigan State Police had arrived at the scene with their bomb squad and they used a robot to enter the house. For over an hour, technical problems plagued the robot and it took that long before they could get the robot past debris and then actually get fully inside the house. After the problems with the robot were corrected, at 5.55 a.m., a shotgun is seen laying on the living room floor. Slow movements were being used from the robot to search carefully. At 6.29, the robot comes into a hallway, and a handgun is seen laying on the ground. Three minutes later, the robot makes it into the kitchen, where they found Carol Bauer. She was laying on the floor dead. Every area was searched on the first floor that it could by the robot, and the suspect was nowhere to be found. A second robot had to be used to descend down the stairs into the basement. Between 8.31 and 9.51 a.m., the basement and attic were both checked with the robot, and the suspect was not seen. They had been completely through the house. A secondary search was then started, still using the robot. This time, when the robot was almost to the bottom of the basement stairs, shots flew through the wall, which hit the robot and temporarily disabled the camera on it. Then, after regaining the use of the camera, the robot continued on and it rounded a corner where it was fired upon again, this time completely disabling it. It was determined that where he was at, he was ready for officers to come around a corner and would lay down heavy gunfire on him. This was at 11.12 in the morning, 
around 13 hours after the initial call came in. Between this time and 1239, more tear gas was used inside the residence. The other robot was then deployed outside of the house to look into the basement window. At that point, the suspect was seen walking towards the basement stairs with an assault rifle and a large capacity magazine and was also seen wearing a gas mask. He then started shooting at the armored vehicle again. He went back into the corner where he was initially hiding after that. Between the times of 12.48 and 4.24 p.m., more gas, as well as smoke canisters and flashbangs were used inside the basement. None had any effect. Police were trying to figure out some way to end this situation. What they had been doing wasn't working. At 5.20, a decision was made to put a fire hose down the basement stairs and literally try to flood them out. The water was ran until 7.09, nearly two hours straight. At 8.45 p.m., further using the robot camera, officers were able to determine that the water had mostly drained out, but there was still around two feet of water inside the basement. Between 9.11 and 9.25, a pole camera and the robot still looked for the suspect, but were unable to spot him. Entering into day three, at two in the morning, now July 6th, a decision was made for officers to go ahead and make entry. Using emergency response team members, what would be called SWAT and other departments, the suspect was then located. He was found behind what was described as a self-made barricade wearing a gas mask with a single gunshot wound to the head. He had shot himself. Located next to his body was an assault rifle and a handgun. He had another fully loaded high-capacity magazine in his pocket. A further search of the house found three more handguns, a twenty-two a 40 caliber, and a 44, along with a 12-gauge shotgun, an AK-style rifle, and a smaller 22 rifle. An additional 1,000 to 2,000 rounds of ammunition were also found. The woman that was found deceased in the house was found to have had multiple gunshot wounds. Police went on to say that his firearms were purchased legally, though he did have a criminal past. In 2006, this suspect was arrested for a sexual assault against a four-year-old girl. A charge of criminal sexual conduct in the first degree, which was a felony, was given to him. During his trial, a hung jury prevented sentencing, but a second trial, he pled no contest to felony criminal conduct in the second degree. He was only given four years of probation and was made to register as a sex offender. A year later, he appeared before a judge for a resentencing, and the judge ended up dismissing his second-degree sexual misconduct and changed the charges to indecent exposure and exhibition of obscene material, which were both misdemeanors. The judge also ruled he could be removed from the sex offender registry. Being that he no longer had any felonies on his record, he was able to legally buy guns and ammo. So it seems that if the judge wouldn't have changed around the charges, that this man wouldn't have been able to legally buy firearms. 28 hours after this all started, two neighbors were shot, a friend of the shooter was murdered, and the suspect was dead from shooting himself. Hard to believe all this. And what's harder to believe, this all started because apparently the suspect didn't like neighbors shooting fireworks. Thank you for listening again this week. For those of you that missed it last week, a new mini-episode was just put out, available only to members over at Patreon. If you'd like to check that one out as well as more, 
head over to patreon.com slash musiccity911 and help support the show. Other ways you can help out are sharing the show with friends, leaving a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast app you're listening on, and picking up a t-shirt or other Music City 911 stuff that can be found on my website, musiccity911.com. Feel free to stop by and follow any of the social media for the show, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. And if you want to get in on some of the discussion about cases talked about here on the show and more, look up the Music City 911 podcast discussion group on Facebook. Until next time, for Music City 901, I'm Brandon, and y'all have a good one.